This morning, uh, we're going to continue in our series, uh, 12 Essential Conversations That Every Parent Needs to Have With Their Children. If you've been tracking with us thus far, we've gone back to Genesis in the beginning of the Bible and attempt to extract some truths that are necessary for us to raise up the next generation with a biblical worldview that also help us all to know how to honor God and His design in our daily lives. The reason why this is so important is because at our, pre- our present world is consistently attempting to tear down some of the most basic truths that God has written on the hearts of humanity and that have been in place for thousands of years. Truths about God, sexuality, personal identity, and even what is considered right and wrong are no longer set and celebrated in our culture, but honestly are regularly being demonized and destroyed. As Christian parents, and for people, for Christian people for that matter, we've got to be a people who study God's Word, who stand on the truth of God's Word, and ultimately speak that truth to a lost culture around us, and especially beginning in our own homes. The four essential conversations that we've covered thus far is first, that there is a one true God. Secondly, that God created all things. Thirdly, that God created man in his own image. And fourthly, that God gave man dominion over the earth. And so with that being said, this morning, we're going to look at this fifth truth today, which is found in Genesis 1, verse 27. We're just going to look at one verse of scripture this morning. It says, God created man. In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our next essential conversation for Christian worldview that we're going to look at here today is that God designed humanity in his image to be expressed as male and female. Now, we have been dealing with two topics a Sunday, and honestly, this topic today is so important, as honestly, the next several, we have some other ones that are coming up. We didn't feel like it was possible for us to do two at a time, so we're just going to extend this series a little bit uh, because it's so important, and we're going to take a break, obviously, for Easter Sunday morning, and then we'll finish it after Easter. But our title of our message today is this, God's Design for Gender. God's design for gender. All of us here today are aware of the great need for us to have this conversation to the next generation. Since the creation of the world, humanity has virtually always accepted the fact that humans are broken into two separate gender categories as either male or female. And that these distinctions are set for the life of the person. That's what we see here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. God created us in his image. He created us male and female. The biblical count of gender has gone virtually unquestioned in the history of the world until recent decades alone. What would have been overwhelmingly considered wrong and sinful and even a sign of mental illness is now being celebrated as normal in what we see as the transgender movement. We see it all around us. We see it in celebrities who are transitioning or changing their genders. We're seeing discussions about children being able to go into what restrooms uh, in uh, middle schools and high schools, elementary schools. And we're literally watching women's sports be completely dominated by biological men at the high school and collegiate levels. And while culture may celebrate this as an advancement, the majority of us as humans still know that it doesn't settle right with our minds and our souls, even if we won't admit it. We know that it's not right and that it's not normal. 
Now, I contemplated this morning putting an image up on the screen, an image of the United States uh, Secretary of Health, Dr. Rachel Levine, who was born Richard. I decided against putting the picture on the screen because I didn't want it to be conveyed that we were, we were distorting that person or bullying them or being mean in any aspect. But public figures that put themselves in public spaces give us permission to comment, especially when they're advancing something in our world that is wrong in the eyes of God. When we look at her, we should absolutely first and, first and foremost see a human that Jesus died for, that God loves, who was created in the image of God. So know that first and foremost. But if we're honest... When we look at this man representing as a woman or a woman representing as a man, we also see something that just isn't right. It just isn't good. It just doesn't fit. And that is the design of God crying out within us. It's not hatred. It's not bigotry. It's just true. You may ask the question, say, well, Pastor Zach, why does this not settle in our souls? It's like we said last week, the image of God means to be like God, to resemble God in ways that are only found in God and man. And if we look at the context of a man being created in God's image in our text today, we immediately see that it's followed by the fact that God created man in his own image, but then he created them male and female. We see the same thing in Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2. You see in verse 1 that in the day in God created man, speaking of humanity, he made him in his likeness, in the likeness of God. But then in verse 2, immediately it says, he created them male and female. Clearly, this means something, there's something special in the image of God that is only expressed in gender differences as part of his design. This difference is something that we must celebrate personally, but it's also something that we must educate the next generation on diligently. Which brings us to our main truth today. Parents, we must have the conversation with our children. That God designed humanity in his image as expressed in two distinct genders as male and female. Now like we've done in recent weeks, in order to be able to have this conversation well, we've got to answer three main questions. So I'm going to attempt to do that today. First, question number one. Where do we see God's design for humans to exist as male and female as an expression of his image in the scriptures? Let me give you five quick truths about God's image being expressed in gender and from the scriptures. And ultimately, you can take these truths and let these be conversation starters for the next generation around you. First and foremost, the scriptures teaches us that God's image expressed in the male and female gender is decent. Meaning it is good. You know, in our culture today, we don't talk about decency and indecency anymore. But it used to be something, a, a phrase, a terminology that we used. Decent was something that was to be celebrated. It was something that was good. Indecency was something that was considered embarrassing, something that was wrong. In our world today, we need to understand that it is important to teach our children that the things that God says are good, that they really are good. And the things that God says are bad are truly bad according to Scripture. And clearly the Scriptures show us that gender is a good thing. We see it here in Genesis chapter 1. At the sixth day, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And at the end of day 6, in verse 31, the Bible says, God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. On the sixth day, God looked out over all that he had created, especially on that day. 
creating man in his image, male and female. And he said, this is good. What was not present on the sixth day of creation was any level of gender confusion, denial, or transformation. There were two distinct genders, male and female, and this was good, and so everything else is bad. Now before the question about the Old Testament versus the New Testament comes in for those who would rebuttal this point, the reality is is that Jesus affirmed the same thing in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 19 verse 4, Jesus himself affirmed God's initial design and gender saying, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? The reality is, is if you're a Christian today, and if you get your worldview from the Bible, and you affirm that what is good according to God, then you must recognize and respect the male and female gender as God's design for humanity, and this and this alone is good and decent. Secondly, the scriptures teach us that God's image in male and female celebrates our differences. The image of God being given to humanity here in Genesis 1.27 clearly shows that humanity bears the image of God first in our humanness alone. Okay, so we, we understand this. It starts in verse 27. It says God created man, meaning humanity there, in his image. He created humans in his image. It's important for us to know this because as we deal with transgender people, non-binary affirming gender people that just because they're living outside of God's design or expressing a gender other than what God designed that we need to know that they still bear the image of God first simply because they're human. So they're worthy of our love and respect. But that being case, and by the way, that means don't make fun of people. That means it's not something to just laugh about. When we see people in these situations, our soul should be grieved because this is not God's design. But they're still people. They're people who are lost and broken. However, the second phrase in this verse shows us that God's image was given not only to humans, but more specifically to both male and female humans. Essentially, this passage tells us that yes, all humans display the image of God. But then God elaborates on the fact that humans bear the image of God as both male and female. This tells us a lot of things. First, it tells us that God's image is best displayed in the human life by recognizing and celebrating gender. God's design in his image was for us to openly profess that we are male and female. According to God, there's nothing good about being non-binary, about not celebrating your gender. It also tells us that both male and female people fully express the image of God. According to God, there is no better sex. However, the greatest thing that this passage tells us is that by God creating us male and female, God initially created us different. And those differences better display the image of God. We, God God's image, God's glory, God is glorified most in the differences in male and female to celebrate the fact that we're different. Church family, let me say something to you that is very profound this morning. The Bible says that men and women are different. And this is not a mistake. It's intentional. We can't elaborate on all this today, but we are different. But it is clear that men and women are different physically, emotionally, cognitively. We think differently. And even humorously, men, we find things funny that women don't. This became very apparent to me when Kimberly and I first got married. We had been married a few months, and uh, one night in the middle of the night, she got out of bed to go to the restroom. It kind of startled me, woke me up. 
I'm 22 years old. And the 22-year-old uh, newly married guy thought it would be really funny to roll over into the floor, lay in the darkness between the bed and, and the bathroom, and scare her when she came back in. So as she came back in, I jumped up, ah, you know, did that little deal, and I heard, the, ah, you know, I heard the little squeal. And then I was expecting her to slap me or something, you know, hey, we're going to have fun. And she doesn't say anything, and it's quiet, awkwardly quiet for a few, for a few moments. I turned the lamp on to see her standing there with tears streaming out of her face. And she looks at me and she says, why would you do that? And I'm, because I'm stupid. I have no idea. And I can just give it a thousand other humorous examples. But God made us different. Our gender celebrates that difference. We must remember that the image of God means that we resemble God or that we show God to those around us, which basically means that God is glorified in our different gender expressions. This is something you need to hear this morning. God is glorified when we own our masculinity as men. God is glorified when we celebrate and own our femininity as women. Now, to those who want to get this right, we need to make sure that we Get masculinity and femininity, those roles, not from culture, because we can miss that, but we get it from Scripture. But from the scriptural truths that we see that men and women are different, and there are gender norms and traits that are different in men and women, that we need to display those to the world. But we are different, and God is glorified in that. Thirdly, and in the same vein, the Scripture teaches us that God's image is expressed in humans as male and female gender, that it is determined at birth. This is determined at birth, that we don't have a say in this. Psalms 139 verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts, and you wove me together in my mother's womb. While we were being created and formed in our mother's womb, God created everything about us. And in that moment, specifically, God set our gender. The practice of people attempting to change their gender is not something new, but has apparently been taking place for millennia even though only recently has it been considered socially acceptable. Practices that lead back to a transgender lifestyle are defined as sin in Scripture and date back thousands of years, and we'll get to that in a moment. But regardless of what is being said in culture, the Scriptures clearly teach that a person's gender is assigned at birth. According to Scripture, whenever a person is born, their gender is immediately stated. In the Bible, no one ever questioned the gender of another person in Scripture once they were born. It was clear that it was assigned at birth. We see examples like Exodus chapter 2, verse 22. When Moses' son was born, the Bible says that she gave birth to a son. We see the same thing in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, when Mary gives birth to Jesus and she gave birth to her firstborn Son, it shows us that the biblical example is that as soon as somebody is born, that their gender was set. And by the way, these passages also show us that the scripture affirms that only she, a woman, can give birth. There's no such thing in scripture according to pregnant people or birthing people. In God's eyes, only women give birth. And no matter what people may say, biologically speaking, this is still true. Well before, Dr. Al Mohler gave an example of this, that well before the ability to to determine a child's gender in the womb, the first thing that a doctor or a midwife would proclaim when a child was born is to say, it is a boy or it is a girl. And in fact, this same pronouncement we see at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. 
In Genesis chapter 2, when God is physically forming Adam out of the dust of the earth, he forms Adam and then he takes a, a, a rib out of, out of him and he forms Eve. And the Bible says when he brings Eve to Adam, the first thing he does is he recognizes the image of God in her, her humanness. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But then right after that, immediately, he affirms her gender. For you will be called woman because you were taken out of man. From the very beginning, at the moment of conception, at the moment of the revelation of a human being, is we see the gender being pronounced. Parents and church members today, we must affirm that gender is not something that man can determine, but has always been set by God. However, today that is being changed. And now we see parents choosing not to affirm their child's gender by not referring, referring to them as he or she, but rather using gender-neutral terms like they or them until they decide what gender they are. This is ludicrous. This is dangerous. But it is also pointless. Men and women are different And those differences, no matter how hard you try to cover them up, will eventually rise to the top because they are unique and different the way God designed them as male and female. And no matter how hard you try, we can never rewrite God. Fourthly, the Scriptures teaches us that God's image expressed in male and female gender is something that helps define their roles in life or their roles in their gender. Now, according to Scripture, the differences that are expressed in male and female genders also bring several roles that are given to each gender in the sight of God. Now, we don't have time to explain it all today, but again, in Genesis chapter 2, when God brought Adam Eve, he brought him a helpmate, somebody who was different from him, but was also the same as him. She was a complement to man. Now, there were certain ways that God created Eve to help complement the strengths of Adam. And the same is true for Adam to complement Eve. For instance, they could not be fruitful and multiply without each other. Now, this is where we get the biblical idea of complementarianism. That shows that men and women have different roles that are given to them by God that often match the strengths that correspond to each person's gender with neither being considered better or more important. And that's important to know. Just because we're different, we have different roles, doesn't mean that anyone's role is less than the others. For example, Ephesians 5.23 makes it clear that man is supposed to be the leader in the home. And the physical and emotional stature of a man matches that calling. In the same way, according to Titus 2, women are called to be the ones who make a home a home. And often their attention to detail helps them do this better. Now this does not mean, hear me on this, this does not mean that a woman can't have a job and that she can't have a good job. And it doesn't mean that a woman can't have a better paying job than her husband. Ladies can lead a big corporation. Men, they may be better in the home. They may be more detailed but only within the commands of the family they've been given these responsibilities to them by God according to their gender. And in more cases than not, their gender norms and how God created them usually allows them to fulfill these roles better. I love what Adrian Rogers had to say about this. He said, men are 100% superior to women at being men. Women are 100% superior to men at being men. Women. There are very few things in Scripture that men and women can't both do. And that's important to know, by the way. Outside of 
the role of pastor, which is specifically given to men, and the responsibility to be the leader of the home in God's best design, outside of those moments, there are very few things that men and women can't both do. But there are things, according to God's commands, that men and women should do based on their genders. Gender matters to God, and it can absolutely help us find our greatest purpose in life by walking in the roles that God created us to fill. Fifthly, the Scripture teaches us that God's image expressed through gender is something that when it is mishandled, God detests. It's important to know. Like we said earlier, that all humanity bears the image of God and all humanity is worthy of our love and respect. Jesus loved and gave his life to redeem all professing transgender, gender-confused, professing gender non-binary people. We must teach our children to love sinners because we are all sinners. However, we must also know that before God, we as parents cannot translate loving sinners as to mean that we diminish sin or we ignore sin or that we downplay sin to our children. We must teach our children what is right and wrong in the eyes of God. This is not teaching our children to hate people, but rather to fear God. You can love God and honor people at the same time. And the Bible clearly addresses the sin of disrupting God's design in our gender. It's clear. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Let me give you an example. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. We see what God considered is an abomination to present yourself as a gender that is not your gender set by God at birth. It says, A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. That word abomination is a heightened sense of rebellion against God. This is disgusting in the eyes of God. Now let me say this. Clearly, what God is not talking about here is children playing dress up, okay? I have a daughter and I have a son that are two years separated in birth and there were many occasions where I walked into my five-year-old daughter's room and my two-year-old son is standing there in a princess gown, okay? All right, that stuff's going to happen on occasion. But what he is speaking about here is an early form of a transgender lifestyle, of somebody who is a man presenting themselves as a woman, or somebody who is a woman presenting themselves as a man. And this is outside of the will of God. And let me say this too, by the way. Parents, there is nothing wrong with teaching your children gender norms and traits according to their gender. That that, that response to their roles. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, Recently, my little boy was in a situation like a lot of little boys are, where he could have got in a fight. And my 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 youngest son Jackson is a he is a lover, man. He he is David, man. He loves people, and uh, and he didn't want to get in that situation. And so, as we started to talk to him and and talk to him about how to respond in those situations, we started pointing him to the fact that one day you're going to be a man. And one day you will most likely be married. And one of your responsibilities is to be the protector in your home. So son, sometimes you have to be courageous. Sometimes you have to step up. It doesn't mean that you have to like fighting, but it does mean that you have to be courageous. Church family, there are many gender norms that we need to point our children to. Let me tell you why this is important. Because when we start to tear down in, in the mildest form, just by affirming the fact that people can be what they want to be. Or in the most extreme form, by people who 
scar their bodies by surgeries that change their gender. The reality is, is that on either end, both of these are detestable to God because God is the one who formed them in the womb. And I'll say this in the next several weeks as we talk about life and abortion and those things. But I want you to know this today. That what happens in the womb, the Bible says God is there. And that place is holy ground. And we should have no hands on what happens there. Question number two. How do we see God's design for humans to exist as male and female in our world? Now, although our society continues to attempt to tear down the idea of gender from the world and attempt to create an asexual world, the reality is they cannot reverse what God has so clearly designed. Gender is something that will be and always will be undeniably seen in the world. It's God's design. Romans chapter 1 says it is evident within us. So let me give you three ways that gender is recognized in our world that you can share with your children and even the world around us. First, the outward appearance, physical appearance of male and female is still recognizable in our world. You can still look at a man and tell he's a man. You can still look at a woman and tell he is, she is a woman. The Bible clearly references the different physical forms of men and women and that is still true today. I love Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon uh, is a book about romantic love inside of the bounds of marriage. Uh, for all you newlyweds, or maybe even some of you oldlyweds, elderweds, it would be good for you to read through the Song of Solomon. But in the Song of Solomon, Solomon is speaking to his wife, and he is clearly speaking about her female form, the uniqueness of the female body. And this is what he says. I love, like in the background, I hear like Barry White music as, he, as he's saying this. He says, oh, my dove. You look at your wives today, man, and say, hey, my dove. You know. <laughs> in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. Now, this is the biblical version of Solomon saying, baby, you're a brick house. But when Solomon could say this, he could speak about the form of his wife because she was different than him. And it was noticeable and it was good. We still see this in nature today and in creation today. Did you know in America, on average, men average five foot nine in height? Women average five foot four. Now, my wife told me she laughed in the, when we prayed over these guys going through better mind, she, better man, she said these guys broke the norm. They did. But on average, that's the case. And on average, men have between 10 to 15% more muscle mass than women. Now, this is not biased. This is not unbiased. This is not just cherry picking. This is the way God designed men and women to be different. Women, on the other hand, women are made to be more attractive. Did you know, women, that on average, your, your pupils are wider than men? So literally, when you bat your eyes at men, you really do draw us in. There's truth to that. We cannot cover all the physical difference in men and women today, but we do need to know that it is noticeable and it is natural. And when we get outside of that, we notice that too. I remember just several years ago, Kimberly was taking uh, Jackson to the supermarket, and he was about four, and the person that was checking them out at the supermarket was a transgender individual. And even though the person had long fingernails and had makeup on, had long hair, was wearing women's clothing, and apparently had even altered their body to look like a woman, that you could tell that as he was looking at, at her, that looking up and down, that there was something off with him. And they got outside of the car, and, 
He said, Mommy, was that a man dressed up like a woman? And she looked at him and said, Yes, son, it was. God loves that person, but God does not like when people do that. And the reality was is that even this child could recognize that the physical appearance was different. It's in the design of God. And let me say this. Even if you get outside of the outward physical appearance, even if somebody was to transform their body in such a way that you could not tell the difference, the physical inward appearance is always still recognizable. 10,000 years from now, you could uncover the bones of someone who was a transgender, either a man representing a woman or a woman presenting as a man, and it doesn't matter what type of makeup they wore, what name they went by, what personal pronoun, that you could examine those bones, and those bones, one of the first things a scientist could tell you is that they were a man or they were a woman biologically because it is written deep within them. So again, you can see it in our world by the physical appearance. Secondly, the clear physical abilities of males and females are recognizable in our world. Like we said, just mentioned a few moments ago, is that the design of God in male and females is very different. Because we are physically different, that leads to the fact that we have physical abilities that are different. We see in the world certain things that men can do physically that women can't or that men can do them with greater ease by and for the most part. Again, this doesn't make men better. It just makes men and women different. An example of this can be seen, Leah Thompson, even just this uh, last week, Leah Thompson uh, is the transgender swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania that just recently became number one in the world in the 200 meter freestyle race. Now this is a man, a biological man presenting as a woman. Just last year, they swam for the same university on the men's team. On the men's team, Leah Thompson was nationally ranked 462nd in that same event among other collegiate males. But in just a few months' time, is able to jump over in the women's pool and is now the number one in the world as far as ability. And the reason why that she is able to do this is because she isn't really a she. She is a man. And men are different than women and have different abilities. Now, this is not to mock Leah Thompson. I believe Leah Thompson is somebody who Jesus desperately loves and died for that I believe is very broken in a situation searching for meaning in life. But the reality is is that you can never make she a he. And this is where they are. Another example that is far more meaningful than what happens on a pool in a pool is what is presently happening on a battlefield. In recent weeks, we have seen the war-torn country of Ukraine being wrongly attacked by the armies of Russia. As the invasion began and the people began to flee the country, the government ordered that all men aged 18 to 60, that they had to stay and fight. And because of the heroism of these men, it appears that it was the case, and they are actually holding off at this point the much larger Russian force. Now, we've seen images of women and children kissing their fathers, kissing their husbands goodbye at these train stations as they were leaving the country to leave behind these men who would most likely give their life for the sake of their nation. Now, the reason why the government called for men to stay and fight and not men and women is because historically, physically, and even biblically, I would argue, that we see it as the responsibility of men to be the protectors 
to be the warriors under God. And the reason why this is the case is because men are more physically adept to warfare. Now again, this is not to say that women can't fight or that women shouldn't fight. I know several incredible men and women who have served bravely in our armed forces and in law enforcement. And from the images we see in Ukraine, we can see that there are untold thousands of women who have stayed and fight. However, what we see in Ukraine is not that women can't fight, but that men should fight. And by Ukraine calling for all men of age to stay and fight, they highlight the fact that when things get bad and when real consequences are at stake, that all political and social redefinitions go out the window and we as humans default to what is true and what is right in the design of God and men and women are different. And when you need a man, you need a man. And then finally, thirdly, the past and present acknowledgement of males and females is still recognizable in our world. The world is still recognizing male and females, no matter how crazy the world gets, and it always will. You will never be able to rewrite thousands of years of history where the idea of gender is fluid, and it would never make sense because men and women have always been God's design. And even presently today, every time a young couple go to do this new technology, which we've never been able to do before until recent decades, is to go and discover the gender of their baby. Every time you see gender reveal parties that go incredibly wrong, by the way, what you see are people celebrating God's design. And that is recognizable in our world and is still being acknowledged. So this morning... We see the reality of male and female all over the scriptures. We see it as recognizable in the world. And finally this morning, question number three. Why do we need to teach our children that God designed humans to exist as male and female? Let me give you a few reasons today that we need to teach this to our children. First, we must teach our children God's design for gender because God's truth about gender is being hijacked in our present day and replaced with lies. Like any hijacker, they step into a moment in your life and hold you captive and demand you give them something in order to be released. The present culture of today is stepping into spaces where the family used to reside to provoke gender identities that are wrong in the eyes of God. We see it in schools which are constantly being fed agendas that promote and celebrate gender identities that are contrary to Scripture. Now, praise God, many of the administrations of our local schools, they would not affirm this, and they are fighting back against this. But the truth is, is that they are having to fight these agendas. We are having to fight these agendas at the state level, and that we are fortunate here in Alabama compared to the rest of the nation. We also see it in social programs like the scouts and sporting events that are bracing an idea that gender doesn't matter, even if it designs the purpose of their organization and the fairness of their competition. It doesn't matter. We can have boy scouts, and you don't even really have to be a boy. We can have girl scouts, and you don't even really have to be a girl. Or yes, you can compete, but you compete at any gender you want to compete, and it's ruining these organizations. But we continue to move forward. And then, of course, we see it among our stars and our shows. Areas that used to be, be family-friendly are now consistently pressing the idea to our children, trying to change the hearts and minds of our children on these situations. Just in recent weeks, the, the state of Florida has passed a law that in schools is that there is, can be no teaching in schools 
about sexuality and gender identity that they are diverting to leave those conversations to the home and the family. Can I say, praise God for Florida. That's where those conversations belong. But that being the case, because Disney has such a large representation in Florida uh, and is very uh, LGBTQ friendly, is that there were many in that camp was calling out for Disney to make a statement about it. And they declined to make a statement about it at first. After much pressure, they finally did. And this was what their president said. While we do not believe that corporate statements have much possibility to be able to really enact change, we essentially are intending that our products to be the source by which we change hearts and minds. This is essentially an admission. Say, we're not going to make public professions, but we're just going to put it in the content that we produce to change the hearts and minds of your children. Parents, in a very real and very fearful sense, we need to know that Mickey Mouse is out for your children. And that should be something that humbles us. Parents, we cannot be naive to think that our kids are not dealing with these issues. They are, and they're dealing with these issues in Morris, Alabama. They're dealing with these issues in North Jefferson County. God's truth about gender is being replaced with lies such as gender doesn't matter. Gender is oppressive. Gender can't, can be changed. And gender is more than biology. It is what you feel. Yes, in many cases, the Bible affirms that gender has to do with more than biology as it pertains to gender roles and norms. But gender is definitely never less than biology. Gender starts at biology. How you are built by God, not how you feel. Parents, these lies are real and they are pervasive. Now, I want to take a time out here for a moment and just say that if you're here this morning or you're listening online, that if you are here today and you are struggling with your gender identity in your life, you're questioning your gender, you feel trapped in your body, I want you to know first and foremost that God loves you and that he's not far from you. But I would also tell you that every human being on this earth who is touched by sin, which is every one of us. We all have an emptiness, brokenness, something that doesn't feel right within us, and that has nothing to do with our gender. I would say to you this morning, if you're struggling, if you have a child who's struggling, their problem is not their sex. Their problem is their soul. The problem is because you are missing the God who created you. And I would beg you by the mercies of God that don't buy into the lies of the devil who would ultimately lead you to defame your body, defame your reputation, defame who you are, and at the end of the day will only leave you even more broken and still just as desperate. Jesus is the one who can heal the longings of our soul. Secondly, we must teach our children God's design for gender because walking in God's design for gender, that is what will lead to greatest joy. Jesus said that I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Jesus promoted the gender norms of male and female that are set by birth. And if you want to walk in greatest joy, then you will walk in the ways that honor God. There are stats out there that show that more than half of transgender teenagers or transitioning teenagers, that they will, they're 50% more likely to, to attempt suicide. 50% more likely to attempt suicide. So no matter what everybody celebrates as this good and beautiful thing, the reality is, is that it leaves them broken. Now again, the world will say it's because they're being bullied or unaccepted. That is just not true. 
In situations where everybody is celebrating, everybody says it's a good thing, there's still something broken on the inside that's not cured in that situation. It's only cured through Jesus. And then finally, we must teach our children God's design for gender because those who mishandle gender will experience God's judgment. It is sin. And like all sin, will be judged before God. Psalms 58 verse 11, if you're reading the one-year Bible this last week, you saw this. That surely there is a reward for the righteous, but surely there is a God who judges the earth. We have to be willing to point our children to the fact that God is a holy and loving and righteous God. But he's also a God that will and must judge sin. And like we said earlier, when you start tearing down your body, start tearing down God's design, then you're putting hands on something that was never intended to be yours. There's something that's being celebrated in our culture in every area, personal autonomy. I can do what I want to do and nobody can tell me otherwise. Can I say something this morning? Is that is a lie according to Scripture. We are accountable to the God who created us. I'm going to ask Brother Ron to make his way up and as he begins to play softly, I was praying this past week just how to, how to end this message. and We ask our staff to spend an hour of their work day every day or set aside an hour to go and meet with God because one of our responsibilities in ministry is not to just go do the work of ministry, but the work of ministry is spiritual to go meet with God and hear from Him. And as I was in here, I was brought to the book of Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah, the Bible says that Jeremiah prophesied to the people of God for their sin, about their sin for decades. And they didn't listen. Prophesied for decades that if you'll repent, that God will give mercy. But if you don't repent, that judgment will come. And at the end of the book of Jeremiah, judgment came. The people had turned their back on God for so long is that ultimately God had to discipline them and bring them back into line. And you see the destruction of the temple of God and you see the people of God taken into exile. And even then, God was gracious to them in exile. But the truth was is that they repped what they sowed. And this morning, I would say to all of us this, who are here today, first off, if you are struggling in this area, maybe you have compromised. Maybe you're here or maybe you're listening online. You've compromised in this area. Maybe today you are living a transgender lifestyle and you say, well, I've already made the, the wrong decisions. I can't go back now. That's a lie from the enemy. You can begin today to affirm the gender that God wrote into your soul. You can repent of sin. That's where you start. And you say, God, I come to you. Not one of us would be able to make a change like this if it hadn't been for what Jesus did for us. The Bible said that Jesus came on the cross and he died for all of the sin of the world. He died for our sin, even the sins of, a, of, of tearing down his design in our sexuality and in our gender. And so this morning, all of that is under the blood. All of that is available. To be forgiven, just come to him and repent. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't, you haven't acted on that, but maybe you have faltered on that even in your idea of the world. Maybe you're kind of buying into that, well, hey, just love everybody and everything that everybody does is okay. Again, church family, if you're a follower of Christ, this is not what God's called us to be. We're to speak the truth in love. We are to be salt and light. And so maybe today you need to repent of this and say, God, strengthen my soul. And then lastly, I would say as we wrap up this morning, 
Many of us, if you're here this morning, say, what can I do? What can I do? Man, my family, we're, we're good. We, we affirm God's design. What can I do? Let me tell you, standing on the sidelines and just launching hand grenades at everybody who's doing everything wrong and saying, y'all, you know, let, let, them, let them have it. They're going to stand before God one day. I'm going to do me. That's not what God's called us to do. God's called us to step into that brokenness. And like Jeremiah did, to step in, to weep with people, to love with people, to call for them to come and know the God who loves them. Maybe today you would pray, oh God, help me not to be silent. Help me to be a prophet. Help me to love the people around me. Help me to point them to Jesus. My prayer is is that we would see people in this world come to faith in Christ, that God does a work and transformation work because he can and he's wanting to. And the question is, are we there? You know what people need more than anything else? They don't need to stop being transgender or stop being homosexual. They need to come to know Jesus. And then God takes care of the rest. But they can't know about Jesus if we're not bringing them the gospel. We're all sinners. We're all broken. And God can redeem that. Maybe this morning, maybe you need Jesus. You know, I prayed this morning as we were coming in and saying, Oh God, you know every person in this room. And I pray in Jesus' name. Even if it has nothing to do with gender or anything else today. Maybe you just know that you're, you're feeling brokenness on the inside and you need a Savior. A Savior is available to you today. Maybe right there where you are, you just pray and call it the Lord Jesus. Maybe bow your heads and say, Jesus, I don't know you. But I want to know you. I know I'm a sinner. And I know I need your grace and your mercy. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave. And so I save me, Lord Jesus. Save me. If you ask Jesus to save you, in these next few moments as we sing, you can mark that on that little card in the seat back in front of you. You can come and let one of our pastors know. If you need to join this church, you feel free to come. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel at this altar and say, Oh God, give me courage. Or bring somebody to this altar to pray for them. As we prepare to dismiss, you go before God today. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we ask in Jesus' name, would you speak for your name and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You feel free to come. Our pastor's up front as we sing.